Hollywood goes to great lengths to make the right sound effects for just the right moments in TV and movies. You may not realize how many sounds that you don't even notice have been infused after the fact to help to convey the meaning of the moment. In fact, one of the, one of the types of film and movie and TV that most often uses uh, sound effects added after the fact is actually uh, nature documentaries. Because they're using these telephoto lenses to capture that, the face of the cheetah from a great distance away or the, to capture the lion taking down the gazelle or whatever else it might be, they can't get microphones as close as they can get those, the lenses to zoom in. So they have to add the sound in after effect or else it'd just be silent movie. And so they add all these sounds in afterwards with the hope that you never even notice what's happening. In fact, we have the same issue here where the, the cameras are so far away that they can't, the microphones can't quite pick things up. So I'm actually lip syncing this sermon. And somebody on the way out is going to say, if he was lip-syncing, why wasn't it a better sermon? <laughs> That's a really good question. Here are a few examples of, of sound effects and how they were created in movies. So in Toy Story, for one particular sound effect, the sound engineer put peanut butter on his face and had his dog lick it off his face. I don't know why it had to be on his face, but that's how they did it anyway. In Indiana Jones, one of my favorite franchises, to create the sound of a punch, they took a leather jacket without a person in it and hit it with a baseball bat and then laid over that the sound of the crack of a whip. And that was the, the, the way they created that unique sound of a punch. It's been a long time since I've been punched in the face. I've got a pretty healthy streak going on right now. You never know when that streak is going to end, maybe today. But I'm pretty sure that getting punched in the face isn't as exciting as it sounds in movies and TV. Uh, in Jurassic Park and Jurassic World, they create the sound of the T-Rex roar because obviously they can't go out and record a Tyrannosaurus Rex roaring. What they actually did was they, they merged three sounds together. They took three other unique sounds and they blended them together. They took the sound of a baby elephant squeal, uh, a, an alligator's gurgling, and a tiger's snarl and blended those together to create that unique sound of a T-Rex roar. But my favorite thing from Jurassic Park and Jurassic World is that to get the sound of the T-Rex eating its prey and chomping, it's actually the sound of the sound engineer's Jack Russell Terrier eating puppy chow. A whole lot less intimidating, right? Well, my name is Steve Dunmire, and I'm one of the pastors here at Watermark. Felt really good to say that. This is the first time I can officially say that. And uh, we're in a series right now called Hearing God's Voice. And today, we want to ask, ask the question, how do you pray when it's hard to pray? When life knocks the prayer out of you, when life knocks the wind out of you, when circumstances are hard, when life is really difficult, and, it's, and maybe you don't want to be on speaking terms with God, how do you pray then? Um, in the same way that sound engineers take sometimes three different sounds to create a sound that's hard to create or a sound that doesn't exist in, re in real life, we're actually this morning going to walk through three different passages listening from the Old and New Testament for the sounds of how people have always prayed when praying has been hard to do. And we're going to walk through with the, the school of prayer with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to pray when it's hard to pray. But unlike the sound engineers who are creating a sound that doesn't exist, my hope this morning is that we can show you how Christians have always prayed. And maybe you need a refresher in this. Maybe we can always stand to be reminded. But maybe some of you didn't ever realize that this was the case. And so, we're, again, we're going to be looking this morning at how do you pray when you don't feel like being on speaking terms with God. And the first place we're going to look is in Matthew chapter 26 where Jesus is praying. And uh, let's jump right in here together. Matthew chapter 26 at verse 36. It says that when, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. 
And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell to his face, with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Verse 43, when he came back, he found them, sleep, uh, found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. First place we're looking to, to listen to how we pray when it's hard to pray is in the garden, to see Jesus in the garden. And I know that God answers prayer because I'm a pastor here at Watermark now, which is an answer to prayer for me. And I know that God answers prayer because Tom Brady isn't a patriot anymore, which is a, uh, an answer to prayer for all God-fearing people. That's in, for everybody outside of, the North, uh, of New England. But if we approach prayer with the idea that, that there's some sort of technique, that if we can twist God's arm a certain way or pray in a certain way or get ourselves revved up or ramped up enough or there's some kind of body posture we can get into that will twist God's arm and God has to answer our prayer, then it's important that we pass through Gethsemane to hear Jesus praying here. Because in Gethsemane, Jesus is in deep anguish. These are the moments before his betrayal, uh, just a few hours before his crucifixion, and he's not praying for somebody else. He's not praying for show. He's not teaching his disciples how to pray. He's going off by himself, falling on his face in deep anguish, and three times he says, I don't want to die on the cross. I don't want to die on the cross, and yet he died on the cross within 24 hours. It's, it's really interesting in a lot of ways that the one in whose name we pray knows what it's like to pray for something from deep down in your gut. Not an off-the-cuff prayer, not, not just a prayer that you pray in passing, but something that you're, deepest, that you're deeply earnest for, and yet have the heavens be silent. C.S. Lewis says that every war, every famine, every plague, almost every deathbed, is a monument to a petition that was not granted. Here's why this matters. As we're listening to, for how do we pray when it's hard to pray, it's important to establish right up front that Jesus knows the pain of unanswered prayer. Jesus knows the pain of praying for something and having the answer be no or not yet, or in this case, absolute silence. You can do everything right. You can pray with, with all the right words, you can pray with all the right techniques and still have the Father in heaven say, no. C.S. Lewis said, in Gethsemane, the, the holiest of all petitioners prayed three times that a certain cup might pass from him. It did not. And he goes on to say that because of that, we can do away with any, any sense that prayer is a gimmick to get what we want from God. So if it's not, what is it? Why, why does the Bible show us Praying, Jesus praying this earnest prayer that was never answered. And I think that's why we need to go to, to the next scene in Matthew chapter 27 where we less than 24 hours later when Jesus was uh, seeing that that prayer was not being answered. Look at tw uh, Matthew 27 verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. 
And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we've seen Jesus in the garden praying. Now we see Jesus on the cross. And something special is happening here. Uh, I don't know how, how you like to pray, but at different times and seasons of my life, I find it's helpful to pray a, a pre-written prayer, a prayer that somebody else has written. Sometimes when words are hard to come by, it's, it's helpful to have somebody else come up with the words for me. And there are several kind of written prayers that many of us have probably prayed at one time or another. There's the Lord's Prayer, which of course Jesus taught, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And whenever I pray that prayer, I'm, I'm always aware of the fact that I'm joining my heart with the hearts of, of believers all around the world and believers of, across many generations praying the very words that Jesus taught us to pray. I'm mindful of the fact that I'm praying the words that my grandmothers prayed and my great-grandmothers prayed. And uh, there's a great sense of uh, just appreciation and awe of praying in that kind of moment. And you can take those words from Jesus and pray them verbatim, or you can make them your own and, and put that into your own words. There's also the, the bedtime prayer, the classic bedtime prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I don't know what strange person thought it was a great idea to teach children to pray that they might die tonight, but that's not the kind of babysitter you hire twice. There's actually a variant ending that's a little bit nicer. Listen to this. If I should live for other days, I pray thee, Lord, to guide my ways. Isn't that so much nicer? Why don't we pray that one? So there's the bedtime prayer. There's the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That, that's attributed to Reinhold Niebuhr. That's widely used in, in uh, recovery circles and a, a really helpful prayer to think about how we change our lives. I have a prayer that I pray like that every four years. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom not to talk about it on Facebook, not to talk about politics on Facebook. Uh, and then one last one, the Western New York Prayer. You may not be as familiar with this one, but I think you'll catch on pretty quick. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, go Bills. And all God's people said, Amen. Went, well, so when Jesus was praying on the cross, though, here's the thing. When Jesus prayed those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was praying one of those written prayers that many other people have been praying for before him. He's actually quoting Psalm 22, a Psalm of David, and he's taking David's words and making them his own. This is a prayer that people had been praying for generations. He's not the first and he's not the last. He's taking one of these pre-written prayers and making it his own in that moment so that when he was on the cross, his arms spread wide, the nails through his hands and his feet, everyone knew that he was praying this old familiar prayer that many people before him had prayed. In fact, there's 150 psalms in the book of Psalms and 42 of them, almost one out of three psalms, are psalms like this. Psalms of lament, we call them, or psalms of complaint. Psalms that go something along the lines of, God, this stinks. God, I'm not very happy. In particular, I'm not very happy with you. Psalms that pray, in other words, God, I'm sure you're very good at your job on most days, but you seem to be having an off day. Why don't you go get a cup of coffee and let me take a shift for a little while, and then maybe you'll feel better when you get back. In other words, Jesus isn't praying an unusual prayer. He's praying a very, very common prayer that for centuries, believers in the living God have prayed. Prayers of lament and complaint are incredibly common. In fact, here's the thing we see with Jesus on the cross, that Scripture encourages us to complain in prayer. Scripture doesn't just seem to give us kind of like reluctant permission. Yeah, if you're really having a bad day, then you can complain in prayer. Scripture seems to give us free reign that when life stinks, when our hearts hurt, when we're struggling to find words to pray, when we don't want to be in speaking terms with God, 
Scripture seems to encourage us to complain in prayer. A third of the Psalms are that way. Dr. J.I. Packer, who passed away recently, noted that in the Bible, when bad things happen to good people, they complain with great freedom and at considerable length to their God. And Scripture does not seem to regard these complaining prayers as anything other than wisdom. In fact, the song, the question, How long, O Lord, appears almost 20 times in the Psalms. I began today talking about sound effects in Hollywood, and there is one sound effect that has been used more than any other. It's appeared in movies for 70 years now, and it has, uh, keeps showing up over and over and over again. It's appeared in movies like Beauty and the Beast, the original animated one, Mr. Popper's Penguins, The Hobbit, Toy Story, Captain America, The First Avenger, Batman Returns, Indiana Jones, Aladdin, the animated one, Spider-Man, Avatar, Lethal Weapon 4, Iron Man 2, Star Wars Episodes 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. This is the Wilhelm scream. It's called, it makes it sound kind of threatening when you call it the Wilhelm scream. It's more like a Wilhelm yelp. This goes back to a movie from 1951 where a man was bitten by an alligator and a, a guy by the name of Ben Burt, a sound engineer, found that little soundbite and over the course of his career kept incorporating it into movies and he worked a lot with George Lucas and Steven Spielberg and just kept working this into movies as kind of an inside joke. Nobody realized he was doing it, but it was there showing up in all these movies. I think it showed up in over 200 movies. It's hundreds of movies at this point that this is showing up into. And in fact, we have a clip of it. You get to hear it for yourself. <laughs> One more time. How about that? <laughs> that soundbite is, is as weird as it is. You think that's not really worth repeating that many times, but it's shown up in all of these movies, the vast majority of the Star Wars franchise and Disney movies and all these things. And the funny thing about it is, for the first time I heard it, I thought, I'll never know. Like, how, how would you ever know that if, unless somebody pointed it out to you? And that's just it. Unless somebody points it out to you, you will never notice it. And in the same way, many believers go through their whole lives praying without ever noticing how many of the holy people of God have prayed prayers of lament. How many of the holy people of God have prayed gut level, oh God, this hurts. How much longer, oh Lord? But once somebody points it out to you, you can't help but notice. I prayed to a lot of people over the years who have had reasons to be angry at God. And oftentimes one of the questions they'll ask is, am I allowed to pray when I'm angry? My friends, I think that might be God's favorite form of prayer. He seems to have a soft spot for people who are willing to pray when they're angry. So we're listening together for these three different sounds of how to pray when it's hard to pray. And we've seen Jesus in the garden. We've seen Jesus in the cross. And our last stop has to be in Psalm 22. It was Psalm 22 that Jesus was quoting. That very first verse was, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then later in the psalm it says this, he has never let you down, never looked the other way. When you were being kicked around, he has never wandered off to do his own thing. He has been right there listening. So we saw in the garden how Jesus knows the pain of unanswered prayer, that prayer is not a gimmick to get what we want from God. We saw on the cross that uh, Scripture encourages us to complain in prayer, and it is one of the major forms of prayer outlined in the Bible. And here in Psalm 22, we see that God pays special attention to people who pray through their pain. This Psalm 22, which is kind of the, the, the billboard uh, psalm of 
painful prayers. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Feeling this God forsaken this, eventually within just a few short verses, lands at the spot of saying, oh, but God, even when I feel forsaken, I know you're listening. Even when I feel like you've wandered off, I know that you haven't wandered off. Even when I don't feel like talking to you, I know that you're listening. And it's a, a beautiful twist here. And the, the big deal here is that in the same way that sound engineers create all these sounds and hope that you never notice, they create all these sounds and hope that you don't realize that they're there, that they just lend to the quality of the movie and the, and the viewing experience. In the same way, when you pray a prayer like this, when you pray, oh God, it hurts. Oh God, I don't know how long, much longer I can take it. God can't help but notice. The God of all creation stands at attention and his ears perk up because he has a soft spot for people who pray through the pain. I wish I could have one-on-one conversations with all of us, um, all of you at home. I wish I could have one-on-one conversations with you and just find out where things are at. I hope that life is sunshine and rainbows for you right now. I hope it's all tulips and daisies. But I know for a lot of us it isn't. And some of you are in a deep, deep valley. And when life falls apart, and it will, when your dreams and hopes are shattered, and they will, God has a soft spot for people who pray anyway. I think they're his favorite prayers. Maybe the best way I can describe what we're talking about here is the story from the life of James Brian Smith. He's an author and professor and pastor uh, from Kansas. And he tells a story about when he and his wife, Megan, were expecting their second child. They were really excited, as all parents would be. And uh, they went, she, his wife, Megan, went to a, a sonogram, what they expected to be a routine sonogram. And when she came home, the look on her face scared him immediately. And she shared that they had found a problem with the baby, and uh, they had to go back for further testing. Her name was Madeline. They had already named her in the womb. And so they went in for further testing, and the doctors were going over the results, and uh, if Madeline made it full term, she was not expected to, to live very long. And uh, the doctors actually encouraged them to sign a DNR. A do, and, and James says he didn't even know what that was at that time. He said, that's a do not resuscitate order. And James and Megan just sat there in stunned silence. They had just finished painting her nursery. And now they're being encouraged to sign a do not resuscitate order. Eventually, they went home, and, and James told Megan, he said, I, I need to go off and pray by myself for a little while. And he went off in the other room, and he prayed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's no sugarcoating this. There is no silver lining to this. These hopes, these dreams, these plans, this tender little life, uh, how, why? She... Madeline ended up defying doctor's orders and, and she, or defying doctor's expectations and she made it to just past her second birthday. A unique characteristic of Madeline was that her hands were always held in this kind of prayer posture. So it always looked for those two brief, fragile years that she had, she looked like she was always praying. The Smiths had a good friend named Rich Mullins who was a big deal in the Christian contemporary music scene for, in the 90s. And uh, some of you might know Rich Mullins and some of his music. And uh, Rich Mullins was kind of a celebrity in Christian circles. Christian celebrities can be kind of weird sometimes. But, and 
Rich Mullins was kind of an odd fit as a Christian celebrity. He was never quite comfortable with celebrity status of any kind. Um, but he was really taken by Madeline. And whenever he came over to visit the Smiths, uh, he said that Madeline was his prayer partner. And he wasn't trying to be cute or clever. He said to James, she's got pull with God. And I love that, that image. I love that sense that this little girl with such a delicate life, of course, if anybody has special influence with God, of course it's her. Of course it would be her. And so every time Rich Mullins would come to visit the Smith family, he would want to go and pray. He'd have a list of things to pray for with Madeline. Not things that he was praying for her, but things that they would pray together for, for other people. And uh, he said that she was his prayer partner. Um, Rich was so taken by her, he wrote a song about Madeline with the words, Madeline fusses and Madeline laughs. The angel who watches says, hey, look at that. There's your faith. Mountains will shake because God gladly bends just to hear Madeline when she prays. And he was right. She's got pull with God. And when you pray, even when you don't want to be on speaking terms with God, you've got pull with God too. Those are his favorite. So I, I don't know where you're at right now, but maybe some of you have found it to be really hard to pray these days. And so I want to pray on your behalf if I can. Let's join our hearts in prayer. Lord, I lift up to you, my brothers and sisters who are walking through deep valleys right now. Hear their cry. Where words fall short, hear the, the groanings of their hearts. We thank you that you, you are, even if we're not comfortable praying these sorts of prayers, you have made it abundantly clear that you are very much comfortable with these sorts of prayers. Bring comfort to those who need comfort. Bring peace to those who need peace. Give courage to those who are facing difficult obstacles. And oh, Lord our God, hear our prayer. We pray it in the name of the Son. Amen.